and welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute, and today we are delighted to be joined by Senator Jeff Gordon, 35th District. And uh, Senator Gordon, thank you so much for joining us for YCT Matters. Well, thank you very much for having me with you. Well, we are just delighted and very curious because uh, you were kind enough to have noticed uh, our colleague Bryce Chenault's article in the Wall Street Journal about Connecticut's electric vehicle mandate. And in the course of the ensuing conversation, uh, I know it came up that you have been um, helping with efforts to sort of talk to your constituents about the mandate and push back against it. But we were curious, what have you been hearing from your constituents about this proposed mandate that would require all new cars in Connecticut sold after 2035 to be electric vehicles? I've been hearing an awful lot. And what I believe is is that government works, works best when it listens to people. And I'm listening to people. And I'm actually letting people know what state government is doing because it seems to being done behind the scenes without wanting to include people. I think that's wrong. When I've been hosting my legislative meet and greets, I represent 13 towns in Northeast Connecticut, a big territory. I've been talking about this. I've held EV forums specific on this issue. And what I hear overwhelmingly from people is that we're not opposed to doing something reasonable, realistic, and responsible for environmental and climate concerns. And we're not opposed to the developing EV market. We want to support that and let the market grow as the market grows uh, inherently. But my constituents are very much opposed to state government telling them what they can and cannot do, and including for their families and small business owners. I've been hearing from a lot of farmers. And what people don't realize because state government isn't telling them is it's not just cars. It's going to hit pickup trucks. It's going to hit trucks, uh, buses. So you're talking huge amounts of people's lives and livelihoods being affected. And one of the things I highlight is not only do I hear this from people, regardless of their political party affiliation, including if they're unaffiliated, I hear from a lot of EV owners in my district that they like their EV. They want to buy another one. They don't want their neighbor being told what he or she should do. They don't like a mandate. No, I, I, you know, it, it is so remarkable that you would get into a place where state government thinks it's in charge of telling the people in a country where the people are supposed to be in charge of the government what people can and cannot drive. And this whole idea that is motivating this mandate, this idea that that these state governments think they can create a market where none exists. Uh, to me, that's just the kind of arrogant thinking that got a lot of uh, Eastern European governments into trouble at the end of the last century. Well, it's a serious issue because one of the things I tell people all the time is I'm here fighting for all of our individual rights, our parental rights, our medical freedoms, you know, making certain that we can live our lives as we best determine, raise our families as we know how to do that, run our businesses. We're law-abiding citizens. We don't need to be micromanaged at all. People bristle at that. They hate that. And the other thing they hate is 
not being told the full truth about what this ban without a plan will do. And when they find out that there's no realistic plan, that we have no clue by state government how we're going to get all this extra electricity, who's going to pay for it, especially since everyone now is seeing higher electricity rates in their bills as of January 1st. That's real concerning to my constituents. And also, where is all this infrastructure going to come from? It's not as if the Fed government is going to magically funded all it's billions and billions of dollars and last i checked i serve on the appropriations committee we don't have extra billions of dollars lying around that we can just suddenly deal with this and maintain it and manage it and what are we going to do when people can't afford electric vehicles or as now the uh, the majority party is saying oh let's go with hybrids how are we going to be people going to be able to afford that let alone charging stations that cost thousands of dollars I represent a lot of small towns. How are they going to pay for this just for what they need to do? It hasn't been thought through and people now know it and they do not like it at all. Well, no, I, and I can understand why. Uh, I I had heard that the majority party was thinking about whether to call a special session and just come in and do it. Have you heard any update on that, uh, Senator Gordon? I've been hearing a lot about it. Uh, as you know, there's all sorts of rumors that fly at the Capitol. Uh, we're supposed to go into to session on February 7th. Right. And if the majority party wants to bypass a process and do it soon before with a special session, that is absolutely terrible. One of the things I'm trying to tell people is why would they follow a process that excludes people who you're right? It's our government. It's not you know, we don't work for government. We're not beholden to government. And so to do a special session is a purely political maneuver. So you don't have to do a public hearing. You right. don't have to really listen to the public because the public isn't going to stand up on the Senate floor like I will talking about this issue. I can tell you that it will really once again show that they have misjudged what government is supposed to do include people. And to be honest with you, we have a session coming up in less than a month. If we want to discuss it, let's have the committees. Let's have public hearings. Let's hear from people. Let's bring the experts in. Let's debate and decide and see what's best for Connecticut. But again, what I'm hearing is that's not what the majority party wants to do. And that's absolutely terrible. I'm fighting against that. Well, you know, it's interesting because you would think at the very least, um, the people of Connecticut should be paid the respect of seeing a plan uh, so they can understand exactly how this proposal would be rolled out. In other words, what provisions have been made to meet the legitimate needs of of drivers. In other words, if this mandate really is something that should happen, then how are the electricity needs of of state residents going to be met? How can we make sure that we don't see some of the things that have manifested in California where you have these brownouts and these rolling blackouts and all kinds of problems that result when you have a grid that simply can't sustain the stresses that are placed on it? Oh, absolutely. And a great case in point is look at the last storm, not this snowstorm, but the last real storm we had that knocked out huge amounts of power. I had people in some of my small towns without power for days. And if government is telling them, well, you have to go with an EV, you can't buy a new gas powered car or pickup truck, how are they going to charge? 
Right. If they have I mean, no electricity. Where are they going to go to to get to a charging station at work? If the power is out, that hasn't been thought through. And this whole thing now about, oh, let's shift to hybrids. Well, that's fine. But again, you're not going to use the electricity part of it if you can't be charging it and doing things. You're just going to run it on gas because when my constituents didn't have power, they certainly could with their cars get to a gas station to get to what they needed to do and get out and about and things like that. So again, you're right. Hasn't been thought through. That's extremely scary for state government to think it's that arrogant that it knows best without a plan and then just, you know, let people hang out there in the wind to see what develops over yeah, the next Yeah, I mean, all of that nonsense, uh, you know, not thinking through that. I mean, that's just deliberately transforming a functioning society into some sort of second world country sort of thing. I mean, that's ridiculous. In a functioning country, you have reliable electricity and vehicles you can get in and you can drive. And, you know, it's often been said decline is a choice. And that's not something anyone I know in Connecticut would ever willingly choose. So we can talk about all of these things. But if something is going to be implemented, it certainly needs to be implemented with a reasonable plan where everyone understands the path forward. And I think as this is discussed more and more, more and more people understand it. And what is amazing to me is that there isn't more serious discussion of things like nuclear energy, where you can get cheap and reliable fuel. And anyone who is serious about actually meeting energy needs uh, should certainly be making this part of the conversation. And it's hard for me to understand why there isn't more of this kind of discussion. And there isn't more, um, you know, more centered around how do we get more cheap, reliable fuel? And all there is is more talk about how there just needs to be more conservation, more cutting back, a lower quality of life for people. And- that is yeah, a real issue because I support reasonable efforts to see what we can do for energy efficiency. But of you course. can't snap your finger and get that done. We also don't want to do things that are going to hurt hardworking people, parents right. raising young kids. And if we hurt our businesses and our economy, then that's going to hurt state finances, which is an absolute wrong thing to do. We've seen the history of the state with bad decision-making and how that affects the state's finances, and no one can afford more taxes. The other thing, when you talk about nuclear power, nuclear power, we have the technology, and it's something we're not dependent upon other countries right. to power. That's actually something we can do domestically. What's wrong with that? And what I point out to my Democratic colleagues is, Right now, a majority of our power uh, for electricity generation is natural gas. So if we're going to generate more electricity to suddenly mandate more EVs, are we going to start burning more natural gas because we don't have the other supply at hand? I thought the whole point is we don't want to be burning natural gas. So again, it shows this hasn't been thought through, and it's something that's being pushed for a special agenda without really doing good public policy. That That's terrible. Yeah. And I think there are people, you know, there there are people on both sides of the aisle, I think, who have serious reservations about this. And hopefully people of good conscience uh, in every party and of no party will just stand up and say, this is something that really needs a lot more deliberation before we try and jam it down people's throats. What else do you see coming down the pike um, during the session, uh, uh, Dr. Gordon, Senator Gordon, that you're going to be paying careful attention to? 
I think we're going to be dealing with some more issues on public safety. There's been a lot going on with uh, state police. I'm on public safety. I'm a big supporter of law enforcement. I think we should be doing more to help our police officers and law enforcement officers keep us safe and protect us and also make criminals more accountable, not weaken the um, judicial system. So I think there's probably going to be more. Uh, I know we're going to need to look more into workforce development on all sorts of fronts for this economy uh, on a number of different committees. And I hope we can continue that work because we need to do it. Uh, I know there's certainly going to be discussions at the Appropriations Committee I serve on about what do we do with any type of supplemental budgets. Everyone's asking for more money, especially as the federal temporary upper money disappears. So it's going to be very interesting what we do with that. I've already been hearing from folks uh, uh, in the majority party. Some of them want more taxes in different forms. I fight against that. I think we should do more tax cuts. Uh, yep. People should keep more of their money up front. Um, I know what there's a lot of, of other What kind of tax increases do you see uh, people trying to push through? Well, we continue to hear about wanting to use for like people driving their cars and businesses about you know mileage use taxes. Mm -hmm. I don't have any confidence government's going to be able to do that type of system in a good, fair way. I've also continued to aside, hear about aside from the privacy concerns. I mean, it really oh, isn't governor, you know government's business where I'm going, how much I'm going, and anything else. You know, I mean, to some degree, I understand it's a use tax. Great, but. You know, I don't understand how that ever would be implemented without handing over far too much information about what people are doing and when and where and how. But Oh, absolutely. I think you're just setting yourself up for more data breaches. And I, I don't have any confidence these systems will be secure enough the way that they should be. And, you know, we do hear from some folks in the majority party that let's, quote unquote, tax the rich. But their definition of rich always seems to hit the middle class. I was about to say, small business it's, funny, it's funny how fast you can get rich when people start talking that way. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And we shouldn't be looking at more tax hikes on people. We should actually be finding ways to better spend the money we have. Connecticut ha does not have a money problem. It has a spending problem, but also the way it spends the money. And if we can gear things more towards what we should be doing for go uh, core government services and better helping our towns that need help, that helps keep the property tax pressure down, all the better. But again, there's lots of special interests there in uh, uh, in the capital, and certain that's how you get to a $52 billion budget. But on the other hand, we need to continue to inject common sense. I know I'm one of the folks with my Republican colleagues that speak to this all the time, but it matters. And when I speak to my constituents, they readily understand it. Yeah. Um yeah, I just uh, it it is really interesting um, when you think about the fact that that everybody else uh, has to tighten their belt, and um, and and sometimes it would be a wonderful thing to see uh, a public budget do the same thing, but it's never a discussion. I mean, it really is never on the table. The only thing that we talk about are slowing rates of increases, and that is considered a cut. Yes, it is in the uh, in the terminology, and then we get you know a massive budget document twenty four hours before the session ends, and then we're supposed to parse through it. But one of the things I, I want to let people know is we always got to be aware every session there's an, always an effort to take away more of our rights, more of our our freedoms, and I fight against that. In fact, today is January 9th, and this is an anniversary of 
Connecticut ratifying the U.S. Constitution. And I have in my Senate desk the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of Connecticut. I've read it multiple times, and I tell people it's there to protect our inherent rights, not government graciously granting us rights. And we always have to fight for that, including this upcoming session we're going to have to fight to keep our rights and to and to make certain that government works for us. And as you said earlier, not have us work for government. Well, it, it is uh, interesting. It is absolutely true. And uh, Andy Fowler, who is uh, obviously one of my colleagues at Yankee Institute, uh, just put out one of his editions of, of Hidden in the Oak talking about what an integral part some of Connecticut's founding fathers played in the ratification of the U.S. Constitution, not just uh with the uh, on the federal level, but here in Connecticut, getting it through the Connecticut state legislature. And so since since this is really, in a sense, Connecticut's Constitution Day, uh, as we wrap up, you know, I, I would say I think it is important for people to take a careful look and really realize that we are a constitution of enumerated powers. And, it, you know, it, we aren't intended to have a government that does all things at all times in all ways for all people. You know, the government is supposed to be here to enable us to do things ourselves and and um, be, in a sense, a break rather than this accelerator that just goes and goes and goes and goes and controls everything and does everything. And if you read the, the Constitution, you really become very forcefully aware of that fact and that it really is made for people who are well aware of their own natural rights and and willing to exercise them with restraint and a certain degree of dignity. Oh, absolutely. And people talk all the time, oh, well, we're given these rights. Um, we're not given these rights. These are our inherent rights. And if you read the wording of the Constitution, I remind people this, it talks a lot about protecting our rights from being abridged, being abridged by other people, but being abridged by government, especially and there's nothing at all wrong with following the Constitution as far as protecting our rights for all people. I don't differentiate between our rights. I'm there trying to defend all of our rights. And the Constitution was enacted to do that. But unfortunately, I think the majority party has a very different view or they just haven't read the Constitution because the wording is the wording and including all the different amendments over the years. And it always speaks to protecting the rights that we already have. And our founders knew that. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's why they limited government. It's a break on tyranny. That's exactly what it is. Yes. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And thank you for that very interesting tidbit. I did not realize that today, January 9th, is the day Connecticut ratified the U.S. Constitution, but I am extremely glad it did. Absolutely. And and uh, we are grateful for your insights on the electric vehicle mandate and on uh, what we see coming down the pike for the session. And so, Senator Jeffrey Gordon of the 35th Senatorial District, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. And thank all of you for being with us. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. We look forward to being with you again on another edition of YCT Matters. I'll show you around this place I call